0: You're listening to Becoming CEO where we share our journeys as solo founders to becoming the CEO of seven-figure businesses.
1: And these are our behind the scenes conversations as we figure it out and these are things that most people just aren't sharing.
0: Okay, so here's a problem. You know me, I'm all about bottlenecks, right? I've been I've been you know, trumpeting that song for a long time. We've talked about it here. Mm-hmm. We talk about it a lot on our team with clients, right? The, the whole premise is really simple. Every business, every system has a major bottleneck. And it, if you spend any time solving for a minor bottleneck that's not the major constraint in the system, you're wasting your time. The challenge is identifying what the actual bottleneck is. And this is kind of like live what I'm learning in my experience here is I have, I think made the mistake of relying strictly on quantitative analysis and so, you know, like in our world, and this may look a little bit different for you, listener, but in, in Greg and I's world, things are easy to measure, which is a good thing, right? We, we pay for leads. Some of those leads convert into, you know, book calls. We pay for calls. Some of those calls turn into offers, and, and we can measure how much money we're spending on all these things in a paid media environment. It's very straightforward. And... There's obviously some complexity within that, but conceptually, it's straightforward. And so I've personally made the mistake of relying too heavily on that quantitative analysis to determine where the bottleneck is. What I'm learning is there's all this other qualitative data that I think, and maybe this is me, but sometimes we dismiss qualitative data as being anecdotal. I'm guilty of this. Oh, yeah, somebody said that on a sales call. Sure. Somebody made this comment. Sure. And I think one time, you know, one time here and there is anecdotal. But when you start to notice trends and patterns, and that's a meaningful data point that you need to pay attention to. And personally, I think I'm guilty of not taking heed of those data points, probably for a lack of being able to process and understand and analyze them, because it's just so much easier (laughs) to look at quantitative data and run things quote unquote, by the numbers, which we have a whole episode on that. And I don't disagree. You need to run things by the numbers. The numbers are important data point, but there's this whole other layer of data, qualitative data personally that I think I've been neglecting and, and I'm now paying a whole lot more attention to. Yeah. I think it's funny because on my side,
1: again, like we look at the same, same numbers. And when I see numbers that were trying to have lower than they are right now, um, the current conversation, and if I'm real with myself ever since we've started running paid ads, even, even just marketing, I'll even go beyond just paid ads is we feel like our messaging is off or not clear enough. Um, and so like when I see something like, uh, our cost per qualified call is ridiculously high, and then we listen into those conversations and we look at you know the end of day sales reports that have like the uh, the qualitative uh, recap. The thing that we go look at is like, oh well like is there a way that our messaging or the thing that we're saying, the call to action in the ad, the message in the ad, the whatever the hook is there any way that that could be leading to the unqualified person that's, you know, moving on this that is ending all the way downstream? And like, we always come back to, yeah, we think it is. (laughs) Um, so for me, the, the quantitative cost per lead cost per call, all that stuff really are, uh, you know, laser pointers on like, Hey, like, here's where you should go look to see, what you're saying, because maybe what you're saying is leading to that number being higher than you want it to be, or need, need it to be for the business to you know, continue running effectively. Um, and I think the frustrating part for me is the, the getting the numbers to making the, qual- the, the qualitative changes and actually getting it right to then see the numbers move in the right direction. It's like, I know we need to probably fix this thing and this thing to see the number move. Like, I, I love that I can know that that's the area, uh, of, to fix, but it feels like I've still yet to crack, crack the, the nut on, on that one. Um, and you know, I'm, a am victim of a victim. I'm guilty of comparing myself to other people. And it seems like my numbers are always so much higher than everybody else's, and when I look at all of these things, like even with people that are in similar markets, it's like their message and their offers are just so much to me, so much more crystal clear. Uh,
0: yet for us, it kind of seems like we we don't get, we don't nail it. So I think this episode is going to come and in, turn into like an ode to messaging. <laughs> And why messaging is always a problem. Because yeah, yeah. we yeah. have the opposite problem of you. I don't know, well, opposite might not be the right word. We have fantastic cost per call numbers. We have mm-hmm. fantastic, you know, quantitative metrics up until someone gets in the phone. You know, we got more leads than we can reasonably handle. Where we're falling off right now as of time of this recording and it ebbs and flows is the close rate. And again actively learning here, right? There, part of me is like the sales people need to be better at closing. And there may be some truth to that, but how do you know, how do I know in this case, that's the major bottleneck versus a minor bottleneck? How do I know that it's the messaging at the top of the funnel that if, reframed, adjusted, modified, there's always opportunities to do so, doesn't improve the quality of the people that's coming through the funnel. Even if that means higher costs, because right now, if I look at our costs, we have lots of margin for error. Like my cost can go up by 30% right now, and I'm okay if my close rate improves. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So yeah. I, th- this is the challenge for me. It's like, you could, could the salespeople close better? Yes, but is the true bottleneck at the top the actual message we're communicating to the marketplace before somebody gets on a phone call? Could changing that yield improvements to the entire system? And I think a little bit of nuance here, right? Generally speaking, the changes you make at the beginning of the system are going to have compounding effects throughout the system. So take use a simple example of you know, manufacturing, right? If I feed in better raw materials, higher quality wood at the beginning of the system, Mm -hmm. it makes the rest of the process easier. And the end product, the tables or the chairs or whatever you're building, higher quality versus a change at the end of the system. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I guess if I'm hearing it correctly, like, When, when I kind of said – I forget if this was in our first attempt at recording this or not. But like we realized when we looked at some of the, the stuff that we we believe our – the reason we were having a lot of calls booked that were quote-unquote unqualified um, was because the messaging we had at the top. Like it was attracting too much of a, a new person to business when like our ideal person has been kind of at least in it for a couple of years and 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 arguably stuck. Um And when we looked at the messaging, we could see how that, that was kind of attracting freebie seekers. Right. And so like, yes, we were getting calls booked, but we still weren't having the sales. Right. And so like you were saying, well, then maybe that's a sales problem, but if you think your messaging is attracting a lot of, you know, freebie seekers or people that, that, you could like statistically could be qualified, but are not in a buying position. Um, Doesn't that come back to like, maybe as clear and enticing as your offer is, maybe it's still attracting too many of the wrong people. Yeah. You have all the the KPI of calls is hitting, you know, we have enough leads that we know like we can't, we can, you know, can't shake a stick at, but like, if it's still, if it's still not resulting in final numbers, there's still something wrong. And if you're listening to the conversations and there's no urgency uh, in these people, um, like, I don't think that, I mean, to a degree, I think a salesperson can create urgency, but if the person's coming because it was an invitation and they felt bad saying no, or, Hey, I'm going to see what this is about, even though I'm not thinking at all about solving this problem, or I don't even realize, think I have a problem yet. I was just interested in this resource. Like you might be talking to people, you know, way too early in the buyer's journey. And that might be your messaging. Like, that's like, I feel like that would be the only explanation to me as that would be, that would make sense in in, in that example, because like the numbers tell you one thing, but when you listen, like when we listen, we got a lot of, oh, I'm just getting started. Um, and like, this is helpful, but you know, they're they're not in any sort of pain. And we know that Most of our sales come from people that have been stuck at a certain point. So they've felt a certain amount of pain. And so when you hear that over and over again, which is the, the qualitative part, it's like, okay, well, it doesn't even, it it wouldn't even matter if we had full sales calendar right now, because the, it would be full of people that we were still turning down. Right. And so like, that's where those, some of those numbers could be misleading. I think, as you're saying, it's like, well, the only other explanation is messaging, Right. Like, I mean, what else would, what else could it be?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a really good point. I, I think at one point my, my belief or my philosophy was, listen, just get people that are demographically qualified on the calendar. That was right. my approach. Right. Like yeah. if they're the right person, right business, right type of, of, of offer, etc. cetera, we want to talk to them. And I think that's worked to varying degrees. But it does present this problem around, but how do you know if they're ready to buy? And I think there is something around, if someone's willing to get on a phone with a stranger and have a consultation, there is something there, but it, you know, it varies in terms of orders of magnitude, right? There are people that get on who are absolutely motivated buyers, have been in pain for a while, actively looking for a solution. And there are people who, to your point, are earlier on in the buyer's journey trying to collect data. And I think at one point my philosophy was that's okay, engage them with our team, show them what we can do. Even if they buy later, that's fine. It becomes a problem when you have a a capacity constraint in the calendar and the calendar is full with people who are not ready to buy today. And then absolutely the opportunity here with the marketing, you know, easier said than done, of course, is how do you attract people who are ready to buy today, not in 90 days or whatever it may be?
1: Yeah. And then, you know, if, for those that haven't listened to the last few episodes, you also compound that with stuff that we can't control, like a recession, <laughs> um, you know, like are just are fewer people ready to buy today. Um, I, I, I think that there's still plenty of people that are ready to buy and invest, especially in our market, as we kind of talked about in last episode, um, like people in our market have, I, I think, a really great opportunity to get ahead uh, right now. Um, but we talked about that last time. I think the thing where I kind of start to go off the rails is, um, like I came back from this, this event in Miami a couple weeks ago, and I was talking to other people in my space that I'm in a mastermind with that sell to my exact, pretty close to my exact demographic, my same avatar. Um, and one of them has been in the game for a really, really long time. And so like, and, and a numbers, numbers head and He was like, well, if you think about who your avatar is, the math basically says that 97, it was like 97% of all leads that I collect aren't going to be qualified. 97%, right? (laughs) And so like that started making me ask different questions, right? Like, because, well, now do I have to play the game that I feel like some other people are playing and- have these lower ticket things that just monetize my ad spend. So I'm break even so that it doesn't cost me a lot of money to get the 3% to make moves. And yeah, ads is my largest expense. And part of why I'm in some of this, you know, because we spend so much money on ads and we're so reliant on ads, it's like, it all starts to cascade around. Well, now I'm just trying to monetize leads that I can't really you know, aren't my ideal fit just so that I can hopefully get enough of the people that I need that are ready. And I'm honestly asking the question, like, is that worth it? Um, and I think this, this goes into the complexity of the actual quantitative piece, because we all know that some of these tracking tools, as good as they are, like, it can seem like something's helping or not. But if you turned it off, You'd like, you're like, oh, my ads aren't working, but if you turn it off, everything stops working. You're like, well, well that's weird, right? Like my ads do help people come into my world uh, and they then take actions not related to ads later. But like if if like, if like that whole downstream, you know, then those numbers start start falling be- just because I stopped spending, like, can we survive that? Like, and I don't know. Um, Is, you know, the real answer, but it like, to me, it all comes back to messaging. Like if, if I could speak to that person, I'm still aiming to my messaging to speak to such a small percentage of the market that I still have the balance of, it needs to be so good. And so on point that I'm getting enough of those people to buy in that window of time to cover the expense that it I incurred to get them even on the phone. And so I don't know, that's like, that's the where I'm at with it is like, I don't know if I'm going to get my messaging to the point where I'm really speaking to those people. I mean, like, it feels like I speak to them now, but we obviously generate a lot of people that are unqualified. And I only see more and more people that are saying very similar things to me. So it's like, now it's like, now you play the game of, well, how does your messaging differ so that you stand out and quite frankly i think and this is maybe my little tainted jaded current state of greg but like as a human being i'm a grown-ass man i'm 40 years old i have two kids going against some of these people that are younger there are certain things that i just won't say in my marketing because i won't sleep at night that i know other people will and i will underperform because of it but i'm okay I'm, I, am i am kind of okay with that right now because I, I don't want to make certain claims and promises that I see other people making that I think probably if there was some sort of uh, filter, wouldn't even make it through, but like we're competing against that stuff. Right. And so we have to stand out and make things sound sexier than they are, which I think is marketing. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to do that in a way that makes me feel like I'm
0: not a scumbag. I had no idea we're going here, but this is really interesting. Right. So, I obviously ode to messaging. Operate, ode to messaging. This people. is the, that's that the that like the episode, ode to messaging. So I obviously have very similar challenges, right? In the sense of there, yep. there's people, <laughs> we found a guy who, so one of my salespeople mentioned, oh, somebody came on a call and they're looking at this other program. It looks really similar to ours. And I was like, yeah, whatever. There's lots of copycats, right? And didn't really pay any attention to it. And then somebody DM me on Instagram, an ad from the same person who i connected to the dots later that literally is using an image from one of my ads. Okay. And the image is like the screenshot of a video that I recorded. And we use that as an image in an ad. And it's like a, it's like a slide with my, my face in it on the loom, like that little loom box. Right. And he just cut my face out <laughs> and he used the exact same image. It's my image in his ad is mm. wild. All right. The point is to your point, like, yeah, there's people doing stuff that we wouldn't do because we have a conscience and we've been in this game for more than, you know, three months. Right. And, yeah. and survived. But I think, so I'll tell you what I, I hear from the market and I think it's true. And it probably applies to you as well is smart people see past, uh, bogus claims. And in every market, There's, you know, there are absolutely the people that like, just, they want to see the big claims and the big promises and they want to see the jet in the image and they want to see the, like when Lambo, right? There's that market. Yeah. And then there's people who are like, just don't respond to any of that stuff and actually want to see somebody with, you know, a genuine track record and genuinely useful things to say. Because what also comes with the big claim, big promise folks is a lot of hype and very little substance. And smart yeah. people see through them right away. So what I've found, because we don't – we're not really hypey in our marketing. Like to to use this other example, this other guy, his, his claim in his marketing is you will get 10 inquiries per week. Our claim is you'll get 10 opportunities per month. Yeah, yeah. I'm not trying to play the volume of opportunity game because – Who the hell actually wants 10 inquiries per week? Like, you know, if you're a, again, my market, like very high ticket consulting, nobody wants that kind of volume. They want to do a couple of deals a month max, right? So point being, I think that there's a market within your market, likely that 3% that you want to be appealing to who doesn't want the hype and doesn't want the promises and wants genuine value and authenticity from a guy with a track record, which you deliver.
1: It's funny, I had uh, someone reach out to me on Instagram and they were like, hey, no offense, dude, love your content, but you should get a spokesperson. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he, the whole message, very thorough, mind you, was about how um, basically the the my interpretation was like, I think you just called me old and unattractive and <laughs> <laughs> uh, pretty sure is what you said. And he's like saying that, he's like, I'm pretty sure your market is this, this, and this. And I'm like, he's like, and I know I'm 100% right. Don't you agree? And I'm like, I don't agree. (laughs) Uh, Most of my clients have kids. Uh, They're not these like 20-year-olds that you think are my audience. So I don't know what, (laughs) like, it was just such a weird, but again, to messaging, like everyone has this different, you know, view. And it's like, I can think my stuff is super crystal clear, but you know. There's thousands upon thousands of people that will disagree.
0: Well, and the thing, what do the buyers think? You know, Seth Godin famously said there's only two opinions that matter: it's your clients and your accountants, right? What do the buyers think? I I had somebody message me on LinkedIn once, and goes, "Hey, I keep seeing your stuff, man. You need to fix your messaging. If you want to play with the big boys like Dan Locke." (laughs) <laughs> you need to fix your messaging. I'm like, dude, I do not want to play anything with Dan Locke, first of all. Okay. yeah, Like, you're, and and like, and you know, who are you, right? Like, what have you done? Yeah, yeah. What's your track record? Who cares? Right. At the end of the day, what are the people that are like, writing checks, swiping credit cards? What are they saying about your messaging? That's what matters. Yeah. So
1: for me, and this is probably not where that you wanted the episode to go, but like, I'm asking, like the question that I'm asking myself because of this, like this place that we're in. You know, I think we talked about previously like having this lower ticket item that helps, you know, quote unquote, which I hate this freaking word, like liquidate our ad spend, but like break even on ad spend so that, hey, yeah, like we can monetize this. Like say you spend uh, whatever 50K a month on ads and you could sell 40 or 50K worth of stuff to people that, you know, means you don't have any cost to acquire those 3%. Like, that's great. But it's like, is there a way to do it a different way? Like, I'm asking myself, like, okay, well, what if I took 10 grand of that uh, ad spend, and I use it somehow to double down on like my YouTube channel? And I go from publishing one long form video and three shorts a week to two shorts a day and two long forms a week that are like answering questions from people that are intelligent, that search YouTube, because it's a search based thing. Like, can I actually turn these other assets that I have into a reliable lead source where I'm not as dependent upon, you know, or in a situation where maybe I now have to, you know, sell X amount of product just so that I have no cost to acquire? Um, Or is this just the game that we all have to play in order to, you know, hit the numbers that we want to hit? Like this conversation, I remember we were in a, like when we met, we were in a mastermind where this conversation of needing front end products to liquidate was when you started getting to like the $300,000 and $400,000 a month range is where like it kind of kicked in where you need it. And it seems like it's like more in, hey, you just crossed a million and you need to be liquidating because there's more competition. The cost of ads have gone up. Ryan Dice's keynote presentation at Traffic and Conversion was about this. Like, I mean, it's not just us. Like it's a a thing. Like the cost to acquire clients has gone up. And I've seen anywhere from, and I mean, I think even Hormozy, you know, the purple book, uh, you know, he made a comment in a more recent episode. He's like, if you're in services, agency, coaching, consulting, like, and you're using paid advertising, your cost to acquire all in commissions, everything is probably somewhere between 1500 and 5k, which is very in line with where we're at, like, and unfortunately, sometimes higher. <laughs> and so it's like, you have to you have to be better now than like, it was easier before, like you said, like a few episodes ago, like the game has changed. You can't, you know, we're not subsidizing. The platforms aren't subsidizing for us anymore. And so we need to do something about it. It's like, is this the answer is, do we have to appeal to the beginner just to hopefully find those few smart folks or established folks that are that 3% for the example I gave earlier? Like, I, I want to feel like there's another way. <laughs> like I, I want to. I really want to believe there's another way because it's it's in some ways a little bit depressing to be honest. It's like, okay, I got to go monetize all these people that probably will never become clients ever. But in order to find that 3%, you got to do what you got to do. Like I don't know. I think, it, Is that- I think it
0: comes down to the decision about do you want to be a direct response guy or do you want to be something else? Like if you want to be a direct response guy, then that's the game 100%. If you want to run a different model, which obviously is in the short-term disruptive, then yeah, there's other models. But for better or for worse – like, I mean we've... to me, like if you want to
1: – I don't know many people in our space – let me take that back. Of the people that I know that acquire and are doing high seven figures, even eight figures with relatively little – dependency on paid ads are people that have been in the game for like 10 plus years mm-hmm. and like have a really big client base and they never lose clients. And they don't, they only need and or care about getting five or 10 clients a month because they have less than 2% churn on memberships that are two to five grand a month. And they have hundreds of clients. And so like they and just they're got very few and in far it,
0: between those people.
1: Yeah, they are few and far between. I mean, like I'm in a mastermind where there seems to be a lot of them. A lot of them are international. I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I can't imagine it does, but they've all, I mean, they're all 10 years older than I am and in not my market um, and have been at it just way longer. And so it's like, you know, it's, I mean, obviously it's tough to compare yourself to someone that's so like so many years ahead of you, but doing it longer, it's, it's dumb. But like the people that I know that don't rely on ads or at least as much as it feels like a lot of our market does um, it are just people that have, OG, oh like been at it for, for years and decades. Um, and the, there's a smaller population of the people that I see that spend sub 50 K a month on ads, which might sound a ton for some people to me seems like a reasonable amount, not like crazy uh, that, spend that amount, but still get most of their clientele from other channels like Outbound or like Organic. Like they actually do have like, you know, they have a hundred thousand followers on YouTube and you know, that stuff adds up like, because every video that you post is basically a VSL or, uh, you know, if you have 30,000 people watching, even 15,000 people watching two, two of your videos every single week that you just put out there, like that, that competes with fundamentally what we're doing. We're paying money to get someone to watch a 20 minute video that compels them to buy. Like if you have a large audience, every one of your videos could have a call to action. And it's like a a matter of time before you get people moving. Right. And so I don't know, like I have 15,000 subscribers on YouTube and it's difficult to tell how many people actually found us from YouTube, or that was like the lead source, you know, we have a lot of people reference the YouTube videos. Um, But like, when I look at where our leads came from, I mean, it seems like most of the volume comes from paid ads. Um, And you know, you never know, right? Like, well, maybe they, they just got retargeted, and they came from an ad, but they originally found me on from a YouTube search. It's like, you still don't know. And so I don't know, like, it, to me, it seems like it's outbound, figure out ad liquidation, um, obviously, still while improving your messaging, right? Like, but for our ideal clients, there are just fewer of them, I, I believe. Like, mathematically, if I need to have people, my best clients, when we look at the data, they've been in business for at least two years and have been stuck between 20 and 40K. Like, that's the best clients that we have those clients stay with us for a while like there's i think i saw somewhere in the united states there's half a million businesses being started every single month like what's the best business to start with service like the percentage of these that are freelancers and like you know service providers of some sort is extremely high and so there's that those are all the people that are opting into our stuff that are trying to figure the game out you know Uh, there's just way more of them. And so, I don't know, it seems even if you had the perfect messaging, you're probably not going to get all of your ideal people. And so this still kind of becomes a, a, an active conversation about the ad spend piece.
0: I think at the end of the day, may the best marketers win. I think that's what, that's what ends up happening, right? Like it, it, it is harder now than it was before. To me, that doesn't worry me about people like you and me because I think we're, frankly, (laughs) better at this game than most people. Um, And and been, you know, notwithstanding some of the OGs who are few and far between, been at it longer than most people. Um, You know, we got we got competitors whipping up ads, largely ripping us off every month. And then three six months from now, they're going to be wiped out, right? So. Obviously, it's on us to innovate and to change the model. Like, may the best marketer win. To me, that means innovating on the messaging because people are going to rip you off, and then you've got to that, and then and the and the consumer can't tell the difference. So then you've got to take the next step in the marketing, and also innovating the model. To your point, maybe it does mean that you have to offer some low ticket stuff to liquidate ad spend, et cetera. Is it like? And we've had conversations with the ripoff piece. (laughs)
1: What? No, no, no. I mean, um, the, the statement of like, may the best marketer win. Um, I had a conversation, I'll leave the person's name out. Um, but well-established, been in the game for a long time, uh, has books that people in our audience probably would have read. And we were chatting, uh, and he made this comment and, uh, about like, people in our space that, uh, are doing it with professionalism. And I was like, tell me more, like, what do you mean by that? And he made a comment that, um, basically says, uh, like everyone in the community that we are in, like the couple of communities that he mentioned, um, everyone thinks they have a marketing problem. When they actually have a product problem, a credibility problem, and a results problem, and they're not doing anything, and this is something that Hormozy has talked about too, like at some point, you could be the best marketer, but if your shit stinks and it doesn't do what it says it's going to do and people aren't getting results, that negative word of mouth will exponentially compound and take away from your marketing. And so like, that's going back to uh, these OGs that I'm referring that don't need to rely on ads. Like they have such positive word of mouth coming out of their large client bases that creates a flywheel of new prospects just from that. And they don't lose clients. So the, the need to be a great marketer actually isn't, that doesn't stress them out at all. Like one of these guys doesn't even run ads and he does 15 mil a year. Like that's pretty impressive. Like again, been at the game for a while, but like never lose clients. If you see videos of him with his clients, like they are raving fans, right? Raving fans. And so I don't, I don't 100% agree with the best marketer wins because it feels like it, it feels like it's the person who can just not lose clients. It's obviously a combination, but like some of these guys don't even need marketing the way that we're talking about it, direct response. Like, so they're, they're beating me
0: and they don't need need to be the best marketer. I think, but I think that's an important nuance, right? Like when they built their critical massive clients, they were the best marketer. Maybe. Why else would people buy?
1: Well, what if they don't really market?
0: Well, they had to at one point, right?
1: I don't know. I guess. Yeah, maybe.
0: You see what I'm saying? Like if this is people –
1: But not paid ads. Maybe not paid ads.
0: Maybe not, but regardless, right? Yeah, yeah. If we're talking about people that have a ton of good word of mouth and referral volume and they've got a big enough client base, they only need to rely on a little bit of incremental gains every month. That like That's someone that's built an audience in their client base over the long haul and probably at one point was a really good marketer when they hit critical mass and therefore didn't really need to rely on marketing at that point. I think there's a point yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I don't man. think yeah, yeah. being the best marketer absolves you of the responsibility of delivering a great service. I I think if I could offer more nuance to my previous statement, the best yeah. marketer wins in the short term. Yeah, yeah. The best, you know, business person, owner, product, etc., wins a long-term game. Absolutely. This is why yeah, yeah. so many of our competitors are flashes in the pan because they don't have anything meaningful to offer in terms of substance. And then they get eaten alive by negative word of mouth and refunds and chargebacks and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they disappear. They don't have staying power. You can be a great marketer and get a, a, you know, a short term spike, but you're not going to last if you don't have anything on the back end to deliver the goods.
1: Yeah. The same, the same person I'll kind of be expose myself a little bit, but I think it's actually, it's true. Like I know that all of this conversation, right? Like, uh, I mean, I'd be lying if it didn't mentally take a toll on me a little bit, right? Like, man, like I can't get through the clutter or, you know, like cost so much to get these people. It's like, it wears on you a lot when like you keep testing different messaging and it doesn't feel like it's working. And, you know, you kind of feel like you're running out of, sometimes I feel like I'm running out of time or money. Um, and one of the, so with that, like keeping clients longer, I made this comment about like, yeah, like we're, we've done relatively well with like keeping churn low. We obviously still have people that churn. It's higher than I'd like. And he's like, well, yeah, but he's like, I know the number one reason why your market churns. And I would classify this as our market is that people just decide they don't want to do the model that you offer. And when I look at the people that leave our world – That's usually the reason it's like, yeah, like I actually don't want to do it this way anymore. Or like I, or I got, I got a new opportunity. I want to pursue that. It's like, it's the departure of the reason why they came to in the first place. It's not that it's not working or anything like that. It's like, they just want something different now. Mm -hmm. And he's like, you can't control that. (laughs) So he's like, that's always going to be your highest part of churn because you're offering a way of doing and building an agency And growing and scaling an agency. And some people, once they get in far enough, might decide that that's not for them. And there's nothing you can do about that. And I'm like, yeah, that's actually pretty accurate. Like, you know, Um, and unfortunately, for some of the people that do churn out that way, they go back to the way of old, which was in some ways worse for them, but like they know nothing else. And so they just go back to the norm. Um, But again, like I like I can't beat myself up over that, right like but how do you how do you take that and then improve your messaging like that's the question I ask myself, like how do I take all of this info that I have about what's going on and then say something and articulate it in a way where they where I get you know more of those three percent of people to to make want to make moves um, and again, it's I think ode to messaging, and I'd say part of why I think some of these people, uh, don't make it is this is an ongoing thing. And especially as tech continues to evolve, these platforms continue to evolve. Um, you know, with all the new YouTube role features, like they're saying, like, they're going to, they're going to eat TikTok's lunch, like these swings in where everyone's attention is going is going to constantly require us to modify our messaging to play in those different ponds and some people won't be able to find a way to sustainably keep adapting and that's why they disappear um so it's owed to messaging but i think it's like also owed to business like hey you wanted to build a big business that's hard and it's going to take you constantly trying to refine the quantitative and qualitative metrics that make the whole machine work so that you can keep the lights on so that you can do the lifestyle that you want so you can pay the people well it's hard (laughs) like this is why i tell my clients i'm like yo you signed up for a multi three like at least a three-year journey like three-year journey one-year commitment like and that's just to get to seven figures you know like so if you want to go bigger like you got to be in this for the long game. And I I think just the reality is most people aren't. (laughs) Uh, Most people aren't because it's hard. And this is one, one reason why.
0: What a time to be alive. I look forward to- It is still the best
1: time to be alive though, to end on the positive note. Like, I don't think there's any better time.
0: And I look forward to a couple of years from now when we're able to talk about the lessons that we learned right now um and we enter a more of a robust growth cycle and we benefit from the decisions that we made today and um the challenges that we were able to overcome it's exciting
1: yeah my one prediction on that is that I'll probably have more gray hair than I already have that's i can say yeah, and that I'll, with and i'll probably have certainty. less hair
0: than i already have
1: <laughs> yeah i'd rather go gray than than lose it but um <laughs> hey guys if you enjoyed this and uh you got value we would really appreciate a a rating and review wherever you consume the show uh, so that we can get into more ears Um, this is as you can imagine somewhat therapeutic for us we don't get to have these conversations we hope that you enjoy listening to them Um, but uh, at mention us on any of the socials we'd love to hear what you thought take a screenshot of you listening to the episode tag uh, tag one of us or both of us and uh, we look to see you in the next one